So you all know we're working through the book of Acts. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning, still on Acts. Um, we're going to look at Acts, uh, part of Acts 10. Uh, last week, I think Jonathan was looking at this story um, and looking particularly at Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion who God was working in his life. Um, and the only people that were shocked by this was Peter and those with Peter, and the amazing story of the kind of cultural shift that Peter had to make, and all kinds of barriers that were crossed, and and the whole point being that is actually what the gospel has come to do, to overcome all kinds of barriers. But we're going to look uh, particularly at the work of the Holy Spirit in that story this morning. So if we put the reading up in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, um, then we're going to jump into Acts chapter 11. That's the the way we've kind of split this up, but it's, it's all linked with what happened. So we're drawing, uh, we're starting kind of towards the end of the story where Peter is in Cornelius's house. Um, and just to remind you, but also for those that weren't here last week, that was huge because a, a Jewish man would not go into the house of a Gentile and eat with him. And that may, strange to, may sound strange to us today, but that's how it worked. You just would not do that. And although Peter has now put his faith in Jesus and has been filled with the Holy Spirit and understands that Jesus is the Messiah, there are still rituals and cultural rules and boundaries that Peter just would not in his conscience. And it's ever so important we understand that in his conscience. So in terms of him thinking, I'm honoring God by not doing this. It wasn't just Peter being a little bit prejudiced. This was his worldview. And yet God had told him to go and be with Cornelius and not just be with him, but go into his house. And he goes in, having had dreams and visions from the Holy Spirit, and begins to understand what God is doing. Um, And so teaches Cornelius about Jesus. And verse 44, while Peter was still preaching, while Peter was still speaking with these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Again, just to make sure we've got this, Peter hasn't finished preaching. He's still talking about who Jesus is, why Jesus came, still explaining it. And it's like God says, thanks Pete, that's all I needed you to do. I'll take it from here. Pete, you're not listening. I'll forget it. Let's just go. And the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk about what does that mean? What does that look like? Fills Cornelius. And he's talking in tongues. And others in his household are speaking in tongues. We heard a tongue this morning. This suddenly, spontaneously happened while Peter is teaching and doing what he thinks God wants him to do. And God kind of overtakes the meeting and changes more of Peter's worldview. They heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Peter said, surely no one can stand in their way of being baptized in water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Then the story goes into chapter 11, um, where Peter has to head to Jerusalem because the church leaders are talking about what's gone on. They've heard about this. And again, just to help us understand... What is so shocking to them is the fact that not so much that people can put their faith in Jesus who don't come from a Jewish background, but that God has received them without circumcision and without obeying the law. So they were 
people at that time who had, weren't Jews, but had become part of that religion through obeying Jewish customs, if you're with me. And the church is still seeing Jesus as a Jewish Messiah. He's come for God's people to fulfill all those promises which are for Israel. Not fully understanding yet, no, this isn't for ethnic Israel. This is for anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. And they've seen Cornelius, a Roman centurion, filled with the Holy Spirit. Obviously, God is happy to receive people without them going through the rituals. So a big meeting is called in Jerusalem. And Peter has to go up there to explain what's going on. In verse 15, we're kind of just into his explanation to the leaders. He says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us in the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord has said. John, it's John the Baptist, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter's quoting Jesus here. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Good point, Peter. There are moments in the life of Peter where you think, is he ever going to get this? And that's why we like him so much, because we can all relate to him. Uh, and he's getting it here. If God's doing this, do we really think we should stop God? When they heard this, they had no further objections. And praise God, saying, so even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. If the church at this point, and Jonathan may have touched on this last week, if the church leaders at this point had not understood that, you and I would not be in the room. This is the gospel making its biggest jump from when God came down to earth and took on flesh as Jesus. This is the second biggest jump that the gospel is making heading into the Gentiles, to the rest of the world. Not just to one ethnic group, but to those outside of supposedly the promises given to Israel. Actually, they were given to Israel for the whole world. And Jesus is fulfilling this now. And the Holy Spirit has come on Cornelius and filled him. And the church is saying, hey, this is the will of God. That it's not just for ethnic Israel. This is for the Gentiles. And that was a big part of what Jonathan talked about last week. What I'm going to do is talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in this. One of the things we've seen through Acts is that one of the main characters in Luke's story is the Holy Spirit. And at Acts chapter 2, we talked about that a little bit. But what we haven't talked about in detail, in fact, last time I was, no, time before when I was here, uh, Rich was preaching from Acts 8, where Philip is in Samaria. Um, And you get Simon, the kind of sorcerer, the magician, seeing people filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, can I buy this? Do you want some money? This is amazing. I'm seeing power. And Rich said, we're not going to look at that. And he's going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit when he comes. So that's now. So what we're going to do is have a quick overview of the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts up to this point. First, let me tell you a story. You'll think, where on earth are you going with this? But let's be honest, it won't be the first time you've thought that when I'm preaching. Some years ago, thanks, Mr. Back. A little bit too loud, but never mind. Um, Some years ago, this is a true story, a brother and sister in London, they were in Pinner. Um, Sadly, their parents had both died, and uh, they were clearing out the house. Up in the loft, clearing out boxes, came across this gorgeous-looking vase. Looked like it was from Asia, wasn't... Uh, anything they'd seen in the UK before, had the common sense to think, this may be worth a few hundred. Uh, No idea where mum and dad got this from. 
And uh, so a few days later, it's on the front seat of his van, just rolling around, um, driving to an auction house. And he takes it into the auction house, and the auction house look at it and say, hey, this is Chinese, and this is quite old. Um, where did you find it? So he tells them. And uh, <clears throat> they say, well, we think this could be worth 800000 up to a million. He said, we'll auction it then. And they were amazed, just stuck up in the loft, just rolling around on the seat of his van. A few weeks later, it goes to auction. What no one had counted on was the interest from China. And with the economic boom that China's been on for the last few years, some people have got an awful lot of money. This vase sold for 43 million. They'd never seen an auction like it at this auction house. The amount of telephone bids coming in. The amount of people in the room with representatives from China. Apparently, the auctioneer had to pause to catch their breath as it went way through estimate and was racing, racing, racing through the millions. Just had to slow it down. Just think, hang on a minute, I need to make sure I'm doing my job right. I've never been in anything like this. Imagine that. Sat up in the loft, 43 million. The, the couple couldn't believe it. Absolutely staggered. Why do I tell the story? <coughs> because those people had a treasure in the loft which they had no idea what it was worth and it had just been up there for ages and not being used, not even on display, not in a museum not being treasured or valued. And there's a real danger that can happen with the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit, particularly when you talk about baptism in the Spirit or tongues or people experiencing things, for some of us can be quite controversial. For others of us, it isn't. It was for me growing up. I grew up in a church. My dad was a pastor. Praise God for that. Such a good upbringing. Um, but as you've, some of you have heard me say before, the Holy Spirit wasn't something we talked about. Because the work of the Holy Spirit in these kind of churches, we took the theology that that finished in terms of the power and, and the manifestation, the thing that Simon saw in the story that Rich did. All of that was up until the completion of the Bible. When we had the completion of the Bible, we got the revelation of God in a book and everything we need to know is in the book. And so although the Holy Spirit still works in us and you can't come to God without the work of the Holy Spirit, there is nothing like power, there is nothing like experience. Certainly the gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't really, other than the gift of preaching, strangely, but the other gifts of the Holy Spirit weren't really for us. And if you spoke in tongues, well, we'd rather you not be in our church. I mean, it was literally like that. And others of you can possibly relate to that. <coughs> and the, the danger is, as I said, the reason for telling the story is because of some of the controversy or because of things we don't understand or because of things we've been taught, we can end up with a beautiful treasure up in the loft, in the cupboard that we don't get out very much. Or in our kind of tradition, and this may shock some of you to hear me say this, in kind of charismatic churches, in some settings I think we're in danger of making the Holy Spirit into a novelty thing. Almost like you get out this expensive vase and kind of throw it around a bit and just have it rolling around on the seat of the van. And it's like, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit. And you can have an experience and, and you can know some laughter or some joy. Or as long as we've experienced him, um, then we can go and come back for the next conference or the next meeting and have some more. That devalues the Holy Spirit too. As all things, in, it's not just in church life this happens, but we're particularly good at it in church life. You can end up with two extremes things we don't understand, or things we think we've understood, and therefore we'll put it away and keep it in the cupboard, or we can swing to the other side and totally still miss or devalue the wonder of what God has given us. And if there's one thing 
I hope that we'll do this morning, because we can't cover everything, can't cover all the questions that, that will be in a room like this. But for all of us, regardless, and I recognize people have been in, in this church for a long time and heard teaching like this before. Other, others of us have come from other churches, but with a similar view. Many of you, what I teach won't be new. But I hope for you, what you'll understand is, is what Luke wants us to understand through his book is the work, ministry, person of the Holy Spirit is central to everything we do. It's a, he's a treasure. It's how we're meant to live. It's how his comfort, as we've just been in the meeting, comes, the comfort of God, comes to us. So for those of you who have kind of heard teaching like this before, I hope what this does, to use a quaint phrase, is warm your heart again with how the treasure and preciousness of the Holy Spirit. And I explain, we'll, you'll, we'll get why in a little bit. Others of you who've got questions, I hope again that if this is something you've kept in a box, you can get it out of the box and look at it again and realize how beautiful this is and what it's worth. To help us do that, I thought what we do is simply, and you know I like to teach this way, is follow what Luke tells us about the Holy Spirit. That's the point of the story. Again, in the kind of tradition I grew up, where we prized theology greatly, which was a good thing, Acts wasn't high on the list of books that you looked at for theology because it was a story. You'd go to the writings of Paul or you'd go to the Gospels. Luke is writing theology. The way they communicated it in his day was through stories. That's how you got to know things. So there are things Luke wants us to understand as he tells the story and the work of the Holy Spirit. So just some things as I looked at, again, for preparation, as I looked through, just some thing, look through the story of Acts, just some things to describe the work of the Holy Spirit to help us understand some things this morning. In Acts chapter 2, we're not going to look at all the passages, we haven't got time, but as we've looked at all of these over the last weeks, hopefully you'll remember some of this. Acts chapter 2, the disciples are doing what Jesus said, they're waiting. He said, you're going to go into all the world, but I want you to wait because you're going to receive power. And they're there in a room and they're praying and suddenly there's wind, tongues of fire and they start talking in strange languages. Strange. Unusual is the word I would put to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the reasons why this can be something we like to keep in a box. It doesn't fit our worldview. That's the first thing to say for many of us. For some of you it does because you haven't necessarily come, grown up in or educated in a Western post-enlightenment uh, system and worldview where things can only be real if we can explain them with logic and reason. You can't explain that in the way that fits a lot of a w- traditional modern world view in the West. This is unusual. What do we do with that? We kind of think, oh, it's in the Bible, it's okay. That's why in the church I was growing up with, and it represents a whole section of theological background today, it's quite nice to be able to say, look, that can just stay in the pages of the Bible. We'll keep that in the box. We won't get it out and look at it. <clears throat> in many parts of the world that I have the privilege of traveling to, it's not an issue. They're often asking us, why don't you teach us more about the Holy Spirit? I decided I'd believe in Jesus. I've come from a different religious background, and then I'm having dreams, and I'm, and I'm beginning feeling that this power, and I'm reading in the Bible about the Holy Spirit. Tell me what the Holy Spirit is. I met a man, he's a refugee from a war-torn country. You, some of you may have heard me tell this story. I'm listening to his testimony. Um, he hadn't grown up a Christian. He'd grown up completely different faith. Uh, he's in prison, not a believer yet. 
Jesus is appearing to him in dreams. He's, because there were Christians in his country, he knows a few kind of theological things. So one day he says to Jesus, Jesus, what is the Holy Spirit? I've heard people talk about the Holy Spirit. I have no idea what the Holy Spirit is. And as he says this, he's in chains to the wall. His whole body starts shaking. And he is filled with a warmth and a power. And he said to me, (coughs) so moving, he said, I knew then what the Holy Spirit was. I knew about the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't get it from a book. He didn't get it from a conference. He didn't get it from a seminary. It was his experience. And for him, that's what fits his worldview. For us, it's different. We struggle with things like that for some of us. That's certainly what I struggled with growing up. We had a tongue in worship. Thank you. There's supposed to be lots more of that. We worship a supernatural God who can do what he likes. But let's be honest, how many of us go, oh, there's a tongue. What's going to happen? What's Rich going to do? What's Andy going to do? Oh, is it going to be an interpretation? Was it the right interpretation? Is it okay? Oh, I mean, is it just me? Come on, let's have some honesty here. Because <laughs> it, it's weird to our worldview. Why do you have it anyway? Why can't we just speak in our own language? Why does God do that? I'm not going to answer that this morning. I haven't got time to get through my notes as it is, yet alone other stuff. But I just want to use that as an illustration. It doesn't fit our worldview. The first time I went to a conference, while they're really teaching on this and praying for people, and I'm seeing some people fall on the floor, I'm thinking, that's weird. The guy has explained it from the Bible. It's been breathtaking teaching. There's been no hype. There's, in fact, one time during this conference, having preached and had testimonies of God healing and the power of the Holy Spirit and the 5,000 people in the room, and you thought, wow, God is here, which was unusual for me because I hadn't been brought up thinking in that way. And he goes, we're out of time, let's have coffee, and then we'll come back and pray. No, no, let's pray now. And off we went, and 5,000 people tried to get coffee, which was fun. And, and then we came back, and then he said, right, well, we'll pray now. And he said, Holy Spirit, will you please come and carry on your work? And in that moment, all kinds of things were happening around the room. And I'm thinking, this is so out of my world view. Yet alone, the religious thing and Christian thing, that for good reasons I'd been brought up in and taught by my father and others, that somehow things, you had to have a Bible verse for it. If it was experiential, it was of less value than if it was intellectual and you could think and work it through. All kinds of questions are going. So the first thing I want to say about the work of the Holy Spirit is for some of us, and I know that it's not everybody, so just bear with us English. For some of us, this doesn't fit our worldview, and we have to get through that. So many questions I had were actually around worldview questions and what I'd been educated in and taught in that I had to bring under the Word of God. And I had to say, hang on a minute, let God's Word and what I see here determine what I'm going to believe and not simply what I've been educated in. Does that make sense? And then in the church, put a theological, in, in, for good reasons or good-hearted reasons, then put a veneer over the top of that so I could look at things and say, well, that's not God, and God wouldn't do that, and there's no way that makes any sense to me, therefore I'll just get back to my theology. Since when is the mind more important in the things of God than the heart? And I was there. I would look at things. And it would, we'd all value and prize the intellect and the mind. Neither should the heart be elevated above the mind. 
We need a far more holistic view. Like all these things, we can go from one to the other. So I'm not saying feelings, emotions, and heart should be higher than the mind. I'm saying we're made in the image of God. The whole thing needs to come together. One of the things which helped me the most with some of these experiences was when I realized that God laughed. What do we think joy is in the Bible? If you're English, we think it's this. Some of you from other cultures are being very kind now. When I first experienced, through the Holy Spirit, a joy from heaven, I remember what was happening as I was being prayed for, just understanding in a fresh way or in that moment that God really was in charge. I started laughing. Not because it was funny, but because all my worries, all the way things I'd been hung up about didn't seem to matter anymore. And it brought such freedom and release. And I began to understand that when the Psalms talk about a fullness of joy, joy means laughter, not just a little bit of a smile. Because growing up, we were not allowed that kind of thing in worship because somehow it was irreverent. We're made in the image of God. That includes everything, includes emotions as well as our mind. Let's move on. Goodness, that's only the first one. Next thing you see throughout all these accounts is despite for us, for some of us, this is outside of our worldview and seems strange and we need to deal with that, there's clearly power here. Whatever you want to do worldview-wise, there is clearly a supernatural power. People are experiencing something. We saw that in Rich's story. This sorcerer, who wasn't doing card tricks, by the way, he wasn't one of the TV magicians that just comes out and says, pick a card, pick a card, any card, you chose the jack of diamonds, Yes! Now we're talking about someone who would have had power, demonic power, witchcraft. That's what we're talking about. And he saw the apostles come from Jerusalem, pray, lay hands on on people that had put their faith, uh, after the preaching of Philip, put their faith in Jesus, they'd lay hands on them and they would be filled with power. And this man who knew power said, can I buy that off you? And Rich ably talked us through how wrong that was and, and how actually we can fall into that trap in all kinds of ways. But what we didn't look at, because we said look at it today, is there was power. People saw something. There was an encounter. There was something physical and emotional going on. That's what happens with Peter. One of the things that I think the church is still wrestling with is we don't want our theology to be shaped by our experience. Well, that's exactly where theology comes from in the Bible. Notice what it said when Peter goes to Jerusalem. Who are we to stand in God's way? And they weren't at a theological seminary where God was teaching. There wasn't a book that God gave them. They saw God work and said, this is God, therefore we'll change our theology. That's what happens in Acts 10 and in Acts 11. Jesus has come for the Jews. Somehow we know this is going to affect the world because Jesus has said lots of things about that. But we're still looking at Jesus being the Jewish Messiah. So I'm going to teach Cornelius because he's a God-fearer. And where Peter was probably going, we don't know this, there's not a Bible verse, but it fits the whole story when you read right from the beginning of the Bible all the way through. Peter would have asked Cornelius to be um, circumcised. That's what would have happened. And we know that from things that Paul writes to others in terms of how people would have come into being worshipping the Jewish God. That's where Peter was going. Peter doesn't get to get there. That's why God interrupts him. Thanks, Pete. We don't want to go to circumcision. We don't want to go to the law because Jesus has fulfilled that and I'm doing something far greater. And how are you going to know that? Watch this. 
power comes. So Peter's theology and a lot of what the Bible is is shaped by experience. Now for any of us that are getting nervous, the Bible is the complete revelation of God. There's nothing to add to it. There's no experience that we can bring that then says, oh, this changes that. The Bible is unique, finished, done, and the full revelation of God is in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. But so much of it came through experience. And we need to let that have as much weight as our love for God's word and making sure experience lines up with God's word. Does that make sense? But the danger is we can jettison, push away experience completely because we think, no, no, I don't want the experience. It's not valid. Since when? Can you, oh good, I'm going over all kinds of tangents now. Can you imagine what a marriage would look like if a husband said, well, of course I love you, but there was no physical affection, there was no kiss, there was no gifts, there was no consummation of the marriage, and yet all they talked about was love? And marriage is a picture of God and the church and his love for us and his commitment and zeal and how beautiful he sees the church. Of course, experience, emotion, God being close, comfort, love is meant to do something in here and not here. That's theology. And we have a book and we have revelation And if there's things we don't understand, we get it out, we study, we talk, we ask questions. But we must understand, as was prayed, so almost prophesied this morning, God wants us to know in our hearts that his love is real. And not just believe it because it's written in a song with a moving melody. It's powerful. Experience. People experience stuff. I remember when I first heard teaching like this on the Holy Spirit, I was at a house party for young people. I have no idea how in our tradition, growing up in the traditional church, we got sent to a house party run by a bunch of charismatics. I'm sure my parents and the church were in at that time because Deborah was having a break from pastoral ministry, had no idea. Opening session, having done wide games and all kinds of amazing activities, was talking about the baptism of the Spirit. And I'm thinking, and someone spoke in tongues. And then I freaked out. But by the end of the weekend, I thought, I can see there is some, something about these people. This was not hype. This was not, these, these people were down to earth. They were wonderful people to get along with. And I was hungry. I responded for prayer. Praying lots of good, solid prayers. More prayers. Hands laid on. Oh, I haven't finished. I'm not feeling a thing. And I was hungry. I was, come on, God. I want what these people have got. Nothing. Nothing. That was it. Pretty confusing, disappointing. And then um, they said to me, look, you, you receive by faith. So we've prayed, you've asked, we've prayed, you've received. That left me very confused for some years. And as I read Acts over time, her teaching, I got convinced that that wasn't good enough. Because what I see in Acts is that people received. They knew it. Paul, just to throw this in quickly for some of you who are kind of working these things through, when he writes to the Galatians, he uses the basis of them receiving the Spirit as the basis of his argument for the whole letter. 
In other words, they knew. He's pointing to something they experienced. Here's an in-depth, complex letter about the place of the law, the role of Jesus, what it means to be in God's people, and Paul builds it all on receiving the Spirit. And I've read things like that and thought, they knew. It wasn't just by faith alone. They had an encounter, and I got persuaded. It was a long journey, and I can help questions later. I, I worked through stuff. I'm not saying my experience is the same as yours, but this was a long journey for me with many questions and working things through, and many times thinking, why hasn't God met with me? What's going on? I remember in one meeting, just to make you laugh, um, I was being prayed for, it was a little bit later, and I was so desperate to receive, I thought, well, maybe I just need to lie down. So I lay down on the floor. Nothing happened. Everyone else was really pleased because they thought I'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. All I did, and it wasn't why I did it, honest, but I feel a bit naughty, was deceive them. They put it on away thinking, yes, God's met with that dear brother. Praise God. And I'm lying on the floor thinking, I don't feel a thing. This is really uncomfortable. There you go. Just to say... As in all these extremes, we can go too far, and this has been said too many times to too many people, where people say, well, if you've not experienced, you've not, the Holy Spirit isn't working in you. And that's where people get hurt, and that's where I think so much of, particularly those of us who have been around a bit, so much of the, what can get called the traditional debate around this, words like a second blessing, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? If you haven't, you've not received everything. All of that language is really unhelpful. Because the Holy Spirit works in us anyway. There's all kinds of things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives and in our hearts which we don't always get to see or realize and have nothing to do with feelings. And I want that to land powerfully this morning. My father's church ended up splitting over this issue with some of the other leaders who got filled with the Holy Spirit and my dad thought he was and they got, he didn't have an experience of it. And they worked it through well but in the end it was a split with those wanting more of the Holy Spirit, going to do something new, and my dad staying back. Um, and he didn't, as far as I know, we would talk at that time, have an experience where he would say, it's baptized in the Holy Spirit. He would talk about you receive everything when you put your faith in Jesus. He, he would push away the experience thing for the reasons I've said. And, and as far as I know, that's where he is today. Um, he's a fantastic preacher, um, loves God, loves his word. I'm so honored to have a father like that. One time he's preaching when I was pastoring a church uh, years back before we ever came down here. And he's preaching and halfway through the preach, he stops and he says, God's just given me a word for you and it's this. And I'm sitting there thinking, Dad, you don't even believe in this stuff. You don't even like charismatic church because you, although you're open and you're thrilled with what's happened in my life and what I'm involved with, you don't want to worship in a place like that. And now here you are prophesying over something halfway through the meeting. Everyone thought it was fantastic. I'm the only one who's confused. And God doesn't believe this. Doesn't believe in the gifts in that way. It was wonderful. The reason I tell you that story is because the Holy Spirit works in all of us. And we can get too hung up on the experience bit. But when you read Acts, it's there. God wants us to know his power. And he has come to us. Gosh, I'm going to have to be quick. Um, let's move through some of these things. The other thing we see is that it's a gift. It's given. Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem to receive the gift. In Acts 10, Peter is saying, and then into Acts 11, they receive this gift. It's a gift. It's not earned. It's not for a certain kind of Christian. It's not about how much Bible knowledge you've got. It's everything to do with putting your faith in Jesus. It is a gift. So any pressure that sometimes we can feel, 
push it away. It's a gift from God. It's inclusive. It seems to be for anyone from any background. That's the big thing in this story. Not just for Jews, for people who have lived with promises of God and been the people of God. It seems to be for new believers as well, the people in Samaria who Philip went to. It's for persecutors. Paul and Ananias laid hands on him. He received the Holy Spirit. And Paul had been persecuting the church. He'd done it in the name of God. But you think, surely he needs to clear that up and needs to make some confessions. Ananias lays hands on him. He receives the Holy Spirit. It's very inclusive. It's for Gentiles, including Roman oppressors called Cornelius, who was oppressing God's people, but had faith in God, and God comes to him and fills him with his Holy Spirit. It is, and here's the biggie, the good news, the gospel. You see, when, uh, in Acts 2, when people say to Peter, what must we do to have salvation? What must we do now? to respond to everything you have said and everything we see is happening and everything you've said about Jesus being the one from God. What must we do to be saved? And Peter says about repenting, about believing and repenting, receiving forgiveness, being baptized in water and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter says. What must we do to be saved? For for salvation, receiving the Holy Spirit was part of that for Peter. And we see that through the book of Acts. That's what Luke wants us to understand. That again and again, people receive the Holy Spirit in response to putting their faith in Jesus. So what I was brought up on when I grew up in church life was you automatically receive the Holy Spirit the moment you believe. You have it. There is no second blessing. There isn't anything more. When churches, and this happens today, churches kind of come into more renewal, if you like, and welcome some of the gifts, it can still be taught there, there isn't a kind of a, a, a second experience. You had everything. So we want to see the Holy Spirit work, but remember, you had everything when you became a believer. Which is it? In Acts, what we see is it's part of what it means to be saved, what it means to put your faith in Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus, you receive. Now, does that have to happen in the same moment? Does it happen before baptism or after baptism? There's not time to illustrate this now. But what we see in Acts is it just happens at any time in any order. With Cornelius, they've not been baptized yet. <clears throat> I think the language, I understand where it's come from, but I think some of the language, and we in our stream of churches have been guilty of this in the past, languages of a second blessing or language that separates it too far out from salvation doesn't help us. Because what we see in Acts and what Luke wants us to understand, that being filled, receiving, knowing the presence of God in your life is the good news. For that Easter service, those of you that are around for that, and please go online and listen to it if you weren't. I told the story from the beginning of the Bible right the way through to the coming of the Holy Spirit to say that God's presence with us is the good news. Of course, Jesus' death on the cross is the gospel. Of course, his resurrection is the gospel. Of course, him ascending to rule over everything is the gospel. But all of that was in order that God could be with us again. That we could be back in the garden, as it were, of Eden, walking with God and knowing his presence. That's what God has wanted. And that's what the Holy Spirit brings. And that's what Luke wants us to understand, why it's such a big feature in his story. Notice Cornelius accepted by God. That's a huge thing to say. They're not giving him 20 questions. What do you believe about Jesus? What has been your experience of salvation? When did you pray to him? Do you know your sins are forgiven? How's your life changed? He puts his faith in Jesus, whoosh, technical term. Holy Spirit comes upon him. 
This is a significant part of Luke's story. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And the significance continues in the New Testament, especially in the writings of Paul. You can see how foundational it is. It's intrinsic to the gospel. God is now with us through his Holy Spirit. This is what the good news is. That through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are now back with God and his presence. How? We're not before the throne yet. That day's to come. But God comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. The church is now the temple. We individually are the temple, Paul tells us in Corinthians. This is where God lives now, by his Holy Spirit. Paul talks about us walking by the Spirit, not by the law. Talks about the Holy Spirit working. um, That's how we obey through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's how we know sonship and intimacy with God. Through the Holy Spirit, it says in Romans, we cry, Abba, Father. My worship life was transformed when I was filled with the Holy Spirit because I was able to sing songs about God being Father and sung them from here and knew what it meant and it wasn't just a belief statement. There was feeling there because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit gives gifts to equip and strengthen the church. There's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, patience, joy, goodness, kindness. How does that come? Through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. How can this be something we keep in a box in the loft? It's everything God has wanted for us through the story. Just a quick illustration from the Bible to to sum up this whole thing, if you like. Then I'm going to bring some application and we'll finish. In the Old Testament, in the book of Chronicles, Solomon has built the temple, this amazing, huge temple for God to live in. And they're dedicating it. I think it says something like a thousand cattle that they're going to slaughter. That just, that's a mess, okay? Because, you, you know, we can kind of think about these things. Oh, amazing. No, that's an awful mess. A thousand cattle. They've got a huge worship band and trumpeters and people ready to worship. And they go through a cleansing ritual. They met the reason for the sacrifice and the blood was to cleanse this. As in the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, to make something clean before God comes. There has to be the shedding of blood. They do all of this. They don't finish the ceremony because it says this, the glory of God came down and they were on their faces. God dwelt in the temple. Here's the work of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit, what Luke is writing about here. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you. Not a thousand cattle, but God himself in human flesh, Jesus. His blood cleanses you. And when you put your faith in that, when you say, not my life, not my way, but his, I'm repenting, I'm turning from my way, and I'm putting my faith and my confidence and trust in what Jesus has done for me, God says, you're clean. And because you're clean, I can come and live in you now, like Solomon's temple. Here comes the Holy Spirit and lives in us. That's what it is. Does that make sense? Because we can get so hung up on this experience or that experience or, or is it peace, love, power, what is it? It's God coming to live in us because we're the temple and we're now made clean by the <coughs> blood of Jesus. And God wants us to know that he lives in us. That's the experience bit. That can be power, that can be love, it can be peace, it can be joy. But he wants every one of us to know 
that God himself, by his Holy Spirit, is living in this temple because this temple has been made clean. That's why Luke writes about this so much. That's why Paul talks about it. That's what it is, is we're now the temple and God comes and lives in us. Let's not keep this like a vase in a box in the loft. Let's not treat it like a novelty that just comes out every now and again. This is everything Jesus died for so that we could walk, live and know God with us at work, at school, at uni. Yes, in meetings, on the fully meetings, but not just got out of the box in meetings. But you can wake knowing that the Holy Spirit is with you. You can walk through your week, cry to God, saying, God, I don't feel close to you. Please come to me. Know that he comes to you. And he wants us to experience that too. It not just be something which is by faith. But what should our response be? Or to be long to be a church filled with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit because that's what the church is meant to be. The temple. God's spirit dwelling with us. How? Through faith. We need to believe. Like all these things, you receive by faith. Let the scripture, if some of you, if this is new to you or you've been on a journey and you're still working it out, don't necessarily rush for prayer on this. You can do. Just make sure you're persuaded by scripture. This is the will of God. Does that make sense? For me, I kind of saw something at the camp and just thought, yes, yes. And it wasn't wrong. And God uses that. I mean, where's Cornelius being persuaded? I don't know. But I think this is where the worldview thing comes in. See, if Cornelius would have no problem receiving power in the East. But for some of us, we just need to let Scripture persuade us. We receive through faith, not through works and not through our intellect, but by believing that this is what Jesus has won for us. Jesus talked about being thirsty for the Holy Spirit, coming to him and drinking. Let always be thirsty. Let your thirst and longing for more of God increase. Don't ever get to the point where you think, well, I know everything now. I've got the book and I read the book regularly. No, be thirsty for his presence. Long for him in the workplace. Now, God doesn't just want you hanging on to the next worship time on a Sunday before you feel his comfort. That was beautiful this morning. Of course he's going to do that. But through the work of the Holy Spirit, you can know that sitting at a desk. You can know that studying. You can know that walking down the road. Because Jesus has done all the work. So we just have to thirst and long. And I've got to finish. Biggest thing, keep Jesus and who he is and what he has done, the main focus. I've... Been, I, I remember being in a, a, a ministry time. We'd had someone come in teaching on this or teaching on some other things, and they prayed for people and said, Who wants to receive the Holy Spirit? It's a line of people, and there's a dear friend of mine, well, they're all my friends, there's a dear friend of mine standing, receiving. There's a lady just become a Christian. And um, as they got prayed for, this lady who's just become a Christian starts shaking powerfully. She's an older lady, so there's no way she was putting this on. And she starts praying in something which sounded like Mandarin. It was remarkable. Never seen anything so powerful in that way. My other friend next to her was just kind of like a tree. <coughs> Nothing. Pastor and care for people, you keep desiring Jesus. Yeah, the experience is part of what he does. But Jesus has died on the cross for us. And his spirit is working in all of us. So long for more, but don't get hung up on what that looks like. Does that make some sense? Keep worshipping Jesus. Keep loving him. 
I don't know why he works different in all of us. I don't know why in that moment that new believer was filled with the Holy Spirit and talking something like Mandarin instantly, and my friend who'd been a Christian for years wasn't. I don't know why. What I do know is that Jesus wants them to follow him more and more. And our job is to keep leading one another in that. Let's stand. I've gone over. I'm so sorry, everybody. Kind of sorry. A little bit sorry. But some of that was too rushed. I didn't want to rush some of those stories.